So the judge is fast asleep, engorged on rich food, tipsy with wine maybe, having completed a day dealing with people about whom he does not care in the name of a God he does not fear. He's roused from his passive slumbering by a knock on the door. At first he thinks he's dreaming, tries to roll over, but the knocking gets increasingly louder, accompanied by the familiar shouting of that woman again. Reluctantly he gets up, puts on his slippers, opens the door with contempt in his eyes, Give me justice, she screams. He says a few choice words and slams the door in her face. He pads back down the hall, lies down again, is feeling the familiar descent of sleep when he hears her knocking again even more loudly. Is this prayer, this incessant knocking, Did the great theologian and Nobel laureate Bob Dylan have it right all along when he sings, feels like I'm knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door like so many times before? You recall the plaintive longing of that song as Dylan's protagonist begs his mama to take his badge from him. It's getting too dark to see, to wipe the blood from his face can't see through it anymore to lay his guns in the ground because a long black cloud is coming down and all these cries punctuated by that over and over refrain not knock knocking on heaven's door like so many times before is that prayer many know this kind of praying pray for the job and don't get hired Pray for health and the disease persists. Pray for peace, but see the images of desolation in Ukraine and the slaughters of innocents peacefully protesting in Iran. Pray for families and yet broken relationships continue. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door and nothing. When we pray, and the things for which we pray do not come to pass, we can begin to think that we aren't worthy enough, or we're not doing enough, or we're not faithful enough, or worse, we conclude that God doesn't really care about us. God is not concerned about us. God is like an unjust judge. And each of these responses to seemingly unanswered prayer is spiritually deadening. We either think we must work harder to earn God's favor or we give up since God seems not to care. No wonder his disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And it works out that Luke's gospel is more concerned with prayer than any other gospel. Jesus is constantly in Luke teaching about the life of prayer, what it means to stand before God in prayer. 
Luke is writing his gospel a full two generations after Jesus' ministry. The church has been praying now for 40 to 50 years. Think about that. For 40 to 50 years, they've been praying, Thy kingdom come. And it has not come. The church is standing on hillsides in Judea and Rome and Galatia and Ephesus and other places, looking with longing for the coming of Jesus, which was promised, the fulfillment of all of those promises, the establishment of God's kingdom for their faith to be vindicated, and yet it has not happened. To this waiting church, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Do not lose heart. Is that what faith looks like? That knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door? If we look at the totality of Jesus' teaching on prayer, we can see how limited our understanding of prayer can be. I fear too many of us look at prayer the way the comedian, those of you of a certain age will remember, Flip Wilson, who talked about it. He said, I'm going to go pray now. Anybody want anything? feels to me sometimes that we still look at prayer that way. You see those football players on the sidelines as their kicker prepares to kick what could be the winning field goal and some of them are on their knees, heads down, pleading with God, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. And if they win, they say something like, I want to give Jesus all the glory for this win, as if Jesus has something against the other team. Vanderbilt must be a godless den of iniquity, <laughs> according to this logic. And the UT Vols have found the next Mount Sinai right there on Rocky Top. And maybe a, it, it's a little like low-hanging fruit to snicker at these examples. But they do point, I think, to a larger phenomenon of viewing prayer as this kind of one-way street. We ask and God answers. We speak and God listens. But such a view of prayer really only skims the surface of prayer as Jesus teaches it and as Jesus practices it. Rather than a thing we do on the occasion when we are most in need, Jesus offers us prayer as a way of life, as a continual posture before the door of heaven, and importantly, as a posture of listening as much as speaking, of silence, as much as, as noise, alignment of our vision with the vision of God. Perhaps the woman in the parable is knocking and knocking and praying and praying until she, as one writer puts it, until she is being formed through long days and nights of prayer into a vessel that will be able to hold the answer when it comes. That she is being formed through long days and nights of prayer into a vessel that will be able to hold the answer 
when it comes. Perhaps we've been looking at prayer from the wrong perspective. We believe we can somehow through our prayers change God. When it just may be that God is using our prayers to change us. The poet Mary Oliver writes, Attention is the beginning of devotion. Something is wrong, she says, and I know it, if I don't keep my attention on eternity. And she describes prayer as a silence in which another voice may speak. The goal of prayer is not so much to speak as to listen, not so much to frantically tick off all the things we need as to create space within and without for that other voice, the one, after all, in prayer we are seeking to commune with, to speak. The woman in the parable is pounding on the door of the unjust judge, demanding his attention to her cries. Imagine, asks Jesus, how much more God, who longs for justice, will hear our cries. How much unlike that unjust judge, our God is. A God who is attentive to us long before we are attentive to God. Long before we speak, long before we knock. The God we worship is already speaking, already opening the door, fully present to us as we present ourselves to God. I have to tell you, I've never been a fan of the term prayer warrior. I never have been. It's always seemed a bit too militaristic for me, as if praying is a kind of zero-sum fight where only the strong, spiritually speaking, survive. It seems to me, it seemed, to lack the humility befitting the act of prayer. And frankly, when I heard that term, I always thought of the woman who gosh, 30 years ago now, stood up in church on a Sunday night prayer service and asked for us to pray that the landfill in Nashville would not be built in her neighborhood, but would stay where it was. And those of you familiar with Nashville will know at that time, the landfill was in Bordeaux, a largely black, low-income community that had housed that landfill for a long time already. And her prayer request seemed so self-serving, so lacking in reverence, in any awareness of her neighbors, that it left me cold. And she was known in that church as a, quote, prayer warrior. And I guess I've kind of carried that with me all these years. But I have to tell you that recently I've been rethinking my feelings about that term. And mostly that's because of many of you. I can show up on Wednesday night and one of you will ask me about someone and I will give an update on that someone and then say, well, how do you know them? And you'll say, well, I don't know them personally, but they're on the prayer list. So I've been praying for them. 
just wanted to know how they were. Or I'm visiting one of you in the hospital and you tell me that someone has been by recently and brought you a prayer shawl knitted by the folks in that ministry. And you have it in your hand at that moment and you tell me just by touching it, you feel the love and care of this congregation. I was in someone's house recently and after visiting a while, I offered to pray. No need, came the reply, which took me back a bit. I mean, who, who turns down the prayer of the pastor? And he went on to say, I, I don't need spoken prayers. This visit has been a prayer all on its own. Or the time I offered to pray and one of you told me, only if I can pray for you as well. And so I did and so did she. And I left wondering just who had cared for whom in that time. Do you see? None of this is the kind of aggressive, self-centered prayer I have come to associate with prayer warriors. It was humble. It was attentive. It's sometimes silent and doesn't look anything at times like what we would associate with prayer. And it's persistent and hopeful. Prayer born of the deep conviction that God is love and that God cares and that God is a mystery we will never fully grasp. It's prayer formed in the dual commandment to love God with everything we have and are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And it occurs to me that the persistent widow is a warrior of sorts. You know, when he says, unless she keeps after me, the way it's translated in that parable literally means I'm afraid she's going to give me a black eye. That's what it translates as. She's a warrior of sorts. She will not stop knocking on heaven's door. But the whole point of the parable, it seems to me, and the great good news for us and for this world of strife is that our God is no unjust judge. But the one who in Jesus Christ intends for us to know the depth of God's love. God is faithful, and Jesus wants to know when he comes, will he find faith on earth? God is just, will he find justice on earth? God is love, will he find love on earth? And most of all, do not lose heart. Amen.